Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. Now, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Oilers and Eskimos, 630 Chad. All right, thanks for tuning in tonight. Chelsea Carey representing Alberta at the Scotties in Grand Prairie. Won this afternoon, 9-8 over Northern Ontario. She goes to 4-0. She's playing Prince Edward Island tonight. The Toronto Raptors looking good in New York halfway through the third quarter. They lead the Knicks 73-56 as we check your scoreboard, courtesy of Crystal Glass. For all your glass needs, call 310-GLASS today. In the NHL, San Jose leads St. Louis 3-1 after the first. The Predators and the Canadians still tied 1-1 late in the second period. Washington and Arizona tied 1-1 early in the third. And the Columbus Blue Jackets, third period just underway in Boston, the Blue Jackets out in front 4-2. Oilers play the Ottawa Senators tomorrow night. Of course, we'll have that one for you right here on 630. Chad, Reed Wilkins with you. Uh, you. You know, if you're ever perusing the old internet, check out Rob Brown's page on HockeyDB sometime, especially if you're of the uh, younger generation and don't remember uh, Rob's uh, prolific seasons in junior in the uh, NHL and specifically check out 93-94 with the Kalamazoo Wings. I'm going to bring you in here, Rob. 79 games played, 155 points, and 188 penalty minutes. But you were just on the score sheet in every way possible. Well, just wanted to be noticed, Reed. Just wanted to be noticed. (laughs) (laughs) What do you remember about that year? That was a fun year. Ken Hitchcock was the coach that year in the minors. So you had... Sorry, I cut you off. Go ahead. No, no, no. We, we just we had a, a fun year, good, good group of guys, and uh, it was for me. It was trying to get back to what had made me successful, and Hitch was uh, working with me a lot, and it, it was a good year. So I, I really enjoyed the year, Calvin. I ended up missing the, the scoring record for the IHL, I think, by two points, and my buddy owned it, John Cullen, who I played with in Pittsburgh. So I was chasing that down at the end, just came up a little bit short. Now, I, and you've told stories about uh, about in junior how you you know you played in an era where there was more fighting, and you've, you've talked about defending yourself. And I, and I don't want to make it sound like you weren't a player who would mix it up because I mean you had you had seasons over a hundred penalty minutes in the NHL as well. But one eighty eight that was that was the the peak of your career. I mean, were you being challenged a lot? Did you get some misconducts? What what happened? Uh-huh. Uh, there, there was a few fights, but there was—I I think there was quite a few misconducts. Uh, there might have been some frustration in, in, in where I was and what things were going on, and uh, teams taking runs at me, and after the play type stuff had happened. So it wasn't—it's not like I had a forty or thirty fight season that year. It wasn't—that uh, wasn't going to bode well for me. So there would have been some some ten minute misconducts where I expressed uh, my delight with the way the refereeing was. Oh, okay, I got gotcha. you. Now, mm-hmm. with with Hitchcock, with how was he different? Um, I mean, he had more experience as a coach by then, and he went from dealing with you as a teenager to now dealing with a guy in your mid twenties. How did the dynamic with him change, if at all? Um, he treated me more as a peer at that point. Um, we could sit down after games and discuss stuff, and I could give input. He would take input, and he would. I mean, he really he sat me down, and my career at that point uh, was stalled, and I was looking for guidance from from him, and he was there for me, and, and he said a lot of things. One of the, the the things that I remember the most, though, is he talked about uh, how you're perceived as a person. He he said, you know, I know who you are and what you are as a person, but no one else does, 
So he said, they, people that come to watch you play, say it's scouts or something, they watch how you skate onto the ice, how you stand for the national anthem, how you take warm-up, how you uh, behave between whistles. Because those are all things that uh, you don't realize. That you're, that all eyes are on you for that. And they're perceiving you. And if, if you are, and I was, uh, I enjoyed life. I was very carefree. Uh, nothing really bothered me a lot. And sometimes it was perceived wrong. And he said, so just so you know, that the way you stand at the national anthem is being watched. So look focused. And things like that. And then also just the game part of it. How he and I would sit down afterwards, break down my game, talk about what is going right, what is going wrong, what I need to improve on. And he allowed me the, uh, the opportunities to get better. So. Um, the two people in my life that have affected and helped me the most in my hockey is is my father and and Ken Hitchcock. Rob Brown joining us inside Sports on six thirty. Chad, you you mentioned you were at a point where your career had stalled, and you were trying to get it going again. I think stalled is one of the words you could use for the uh, Edmonton Oilers season. Given the last few games, uh, I mean it's been tough. You know, b- before the seven o'clock news, there, Rob, a caller phoned in and, and said, does it look like Jordan Eberle isn't passing to Connor McDavid? And I said, well, I haven't noticed anything specific. But it they've become a team, Rob, and, and to me it's been worse over the last four or five games than, than any other time of the year. They've become a very hesitant team with the puck, and, and a lot of promising offensive rushes seem to just fizzle out because... There's there's a waiting to make the pass, or there's an uncertainty, and that's a kind of a, a strange and alarming thing that's crept into their game lately. Yeah, I mean, let's start with the first one. The caller said Jordan Everly realizes that he is benefiting playing with Connor McDavid. He understands Jordan is a. If you talk to him, he understands the game very well. He's a smart kid that uh, knows that being fortunate enough to play with Connor McDavid is helping him. Immensely, immensely. So, uh, for him to someone to not think that he's passing to, to, to Connor McDavid, uh, I could. I don't think there's anything further from the truth. He, he knows that when the puck's in Connor's hands, that allows him to get open, and Connor's going to get the puck back to him. Connor's a uh, pass first, shoot second type of player, which is the exact type of player you want to play with if you're a goal scorer. So, there's that. I, I think what you're seeing with the, the Oilers right now is a lot of these guys have been there before where things have gone south, and uh, they're hesitant because the the games are getting away from them, and they're hesitant because they there's frustration in it, and they're hesitant because they're not exactly sure why it's going the way it is. So now they're trying to make create things that probably aren't there, or they're they're looking for something better because what had been working before isn't working now. So. Uh, yeah, I I'm, I fear the same thing that a lot of fans fear is that this is going to turn into an exhibition season for the last 20-some games like it has been the last couple of years, and that's something that uh, the Oilers can't allow to happen. Yeah, well, and I mean, they just look like, I mean, I, I said hesitant sometimes, a little lost, and I mean, not the, the score doesn't matter, I suppose. Either you win or you lose, but, but when they've actually had the score tied, you just start to feel, yeah, the other team's going to make the next big play, or, or the Oilers are going to make the next big mistake, maybe is a better way to put it. Well, I think, and you and I talked about it after one of the games just recently, when the score is tied and it's getting later in the game, the opposition feels they're going to win. The Oilers 
hope they're going to win. And that's from other teams that have got the experience of winning close games. And the others are hoping they're going to win because, unfortunately, they got the experience of losing close games, and they've lost a lot of them. And we've heard players talk after the games that they don't know how to win close games. they got to figure out how to do it, and they got to get over that hump. So right now, you can always tell. If, if I'm sitting in the stands and I'm watching, say, minor hockey, and the, as the game's getting later, I can tell just by the way the players are playing, by, by the confidence of a team, by the way they're passing the puck, by the hesitancy in a team, I can tell which team is going to win the hockey game because they feel they are going to win. They feel they're better. And right now the Oilers aren't that team. Right now the Oilers are a team that's hoping. They're looking at the score clock, hope, or excuse me, the time clock, hoping that time ticks down quicker, 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 get them into overtime, get them into a shootout. They're just not a confident bunch right now. And, it, I mean, when you're in 30th place, again, uh, confidence is going to be waning. Well, so let me ask you ask you this, Rob, because that that mental side of it is an interesting one, and I and I even got into this sort of a chat with Mark Kennedy last week, who's who's a curler, a very successful curler. So it's a different sport, but you know he talked a lot about that not getting negative when something goes wrong, or still believing when the score is tied. Can you learn that ability, or or do some people just are more inclined to have it? Um, than others, because certainly in your career, you would have faced adversity, you would have had bad games, you would have had, had good games. I, I mean, do you think players can learn that, or or do you think it's just something that, that maybe you're, some people are more born with that ability to, to stay strong in tough situations? Well, it, it is, a, it is a, a, a trait that a lot are born with, and it's a very fortunate few that have that that always have that confidence in themselves but having said that even the best of them falter like and i use the golf analogy a lot tiger woods was the best in his generation for for a decade and he knew every time that he was in a, a playoff or if he was late in a round in the final round and he and another guy were close he knew he was going to win he, he had no fear he knew if he had an eight foot putt that he had to make he would make it because he had that confidence. Well, then things went sideways for him, and all of a sudden, his, I mean, he went through some injuries, but his talent didn't go away, but he lost his confidence. And he started missing those putts, and he started missing those chips. And then the players that were playing against him, they gained confidence in themselves and the fact that he wasn't superhuman anymore. So if the best in the world, Tiger Woods, can lose confidence in himself on a five-foot putt or a three-foot putt, then you've got to imagine that, 19, 20, 21, 22 year old hockey players that are just at the start of their careers, uh, when they go through a rough time, they're going to lose confidence. And that's what it is right now. There's Taylor Hall, when he and Drysaddle were playing so well together, you could tell in their body language that they wanted to be on the ice and they knew good things were going to happen when they were on the ice. Over the last little while, it's been the opposite. You can see the, sh- the shoulders shrug as they come off. You can see the frustration come in their play. When Taylor Hall's playing well, if something bad goes wrong, he gets mad and angry, and he goes out and he's twice as good the next shift. When he's not, things aren't going well for him. When he gets mad or frustrated, you can see him sagging, and you can see the way he skates to the bench. And that's just not just picking on Taylor. A lot of players are like that, and that's what you're seeing right now with the others. When the other team scores that goal, there's their bench deflates, uh, the goalie deflates, the defense, everyone. And it's a team right now that is hoping to win instead of believing in the fact that they can win. 
Rob, one more before I let you go. The trade deadline is uh, in a week. Uh, you're going to be in studio with me. We're going to have special coverage uh, starting at 11 in the morning or earlier here on 6.30. Chet, if the Oilers do something, the deadline is at 1 p.m. Uh, mountain Time. You know, McClellan made the comment today that he senses some nerves, some uneasiness in his locker room and and maybe wider spread than it. he wasn't here in the past. But he says, you know, I, I know that Ryan Nugent Hopkins' name is being mentioned in trades, and that really hasn't happened before. And some of the other guys who'd been associated as guys who were going to be here a long time, their names are, 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 are being thrown about. De- describe to me this week leading up to the trade deadline for a player especially when you're on a team where you know you're not waiting to add somebody for a playoff run. It's tough. If you look at the, the, the core group, they're all good friends. They're all best buddies. I mean, even guys that are on the outside of that core group, like a Justin Schultz, they're all best buddies. Nobody wants to get traded. And I know that whenever you and I do the show, people call and you got to trade this guy, that guy, and we get into the that too, drawn into, okay, who could we move? But at the end of the day, there's still people that – they don't want to be uprooted. They don't want to go to an unknown. They not. I mean, it, you think, oh, it's going to be better elsewhere. It never, not always is. They could go to a team where they don't know anyone, guys they don't look, don't care to play with. So there's an uneasiness because nobody wants to move. Normally, if if when when a guy asks to be traded, that's one thing. When he gets traded because the team's struggling, completely different animal. And uh, Taylor, he doesn't want to leave Jordan Everly and, and Nugent Hopkins and his buddies behind and play somewhere else and have to reassert himself they get comfortable here because they know who they are here they know where their standing is on the team they know where their standing is amongst their teammates and have to go somewhere else and reestablish that is hard so and then you add the fact that some of these guys got spouses or girlfriends or kids or things like that around here they don't want to uproot them either so it's tough and it's normally there's about a handful of players that have to go through that every year at the trade deadline per team but when you're in 30th place again all of a sudden you hear Hall's name, you hear Nugent Hopkins, you hear Everly, you hear all their their names, and these guys aren't used to it. So I think it, it, it's going to be an uneasy time for the next week, and now that just puts an exclamation point on some of the mistakes you make on the ice. Now you make a mistake, oh my God, that's, they're going to want to get rid of me now. Or no wonder they want to get rid of me, I can't make that play. So I, I think that adds to the frustration that a lot of these players are going through right now. Yeah, well, it's been a tough run. We'll see what happens against the Senators uh, tomorrow. Obviously, that was one of the highlights of the Oilers' season when they beat Ottawa 7-2 earlier this month. Rob, thanks a lot for your time, man. I will see you at the rink tomorrow. Sounds good, Reed. Take care. There is former Kalamazoo wing Rob Brown checking in tonight inside sports on 630 Chet. All right, 780-496-0063. You can text us at 630-630. We'll have some comments from Teddy Purcell about the possibility of being traded when we get back. Your home for breaking news and expert opinion. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. Hey, thanks for tuning in tonight. What's going on? You know what's going to happen on Wednesday, Kellen Kennedy? What's going to happen on Wednesday? Uh, we're going to have some roller derby girls in studio. Hey, hey, in that'll be studio. That'll be fun. Yeah, from uh, Evil. Evil Roller Derby. Oh, cool. How about this? They got, like, crazy mean-sounding names. Yep. They are probably going to beat the pulp out of me. Oh, yeah. There's a very good chance that happens. Mm-hmm. 
Thanks for your support, buddy. Yeah. Like a lot of people would say, oh, I wouldn't let that happen, Reed. You're just like, yeah, you're doomed, Reed. Well, I feel fortunate because there's actually a wall and a window between you and I. So, you know, if we lock you in there with them, I'm fine. That should be oh, the thanks. idea. Yeah, yeah. thanks. Yeah. I, I saw Deadpool on Friday. I don't know if you've seen it, but there's, no. a, there's a scene where Deadpool's getting ready to go off and fight the, uh, the bad guys. And he's kind of got his non-superhero sidekick buddy. Yeah. And he goes... Uh, the buddy says, well, uh, I'd come with you, but I don't want to. Yeah, pretty well. <laughs> pretty entertaining movie, Deadpool. I did, li- <laughs> I did like it. Uh, definitely R-rated, though. Mm-hmm. If, uh, if you have young ones in the family, you might want to let them mature a little bit before you watch it. I want to go see it, for sure. Uh, pr- pretty, well, pretty well done, for the most part. Uh, some pretty funny moments. Mm-hmm. Got a text here from a texter who doesn't text often, but when he does... He refers to himself as my cousin Dominique. I don't think it is the real Dominique Wilkins, nor is Dominique Wilkins actually my cousin, but we joke about that. Uh, Cousin Dom says, uh, I don't like being the armchair GM, but I must say that if the right players were drafted number one over the past few years, that the Oilers team would be more well-balanced. Sagan and Hall, I always said Sagan was the better pick. Landeskog should have been drafted instead of Nuge, and obviously Murray should have been drafted ahead of Yakupov. The Oilers would be better defensively and offensively with better young leadership. The only good pick is obvious. The Oilers took Connor McDavid. We don't need to build this team around three forwards and three defense. We need to build it around McDavid and Clefbaum and possibly Nurse. Shirelli has a tough job to do. He needs to trade talent for talent. Example, Nugent Hopkins and Hall should be moved out. And uh, they should be building around Dreisaitl as well. That gives the Oilers two high-end centers. Those are the thoughts of Cousin Dominique. Okay. News coming up. Chris Johnston from Sportsnet to talk about the Leafs and Oilers situation. Two highest-paid coaches in the NHL are coaching the two worst teams in the NHL at the moment. A little later on as well, we will talk to the head coach of the Stony Plain Eagles. A little bit on senior hockey and what it's like to coach Ryan Smith. Still a lot to come inside sports on 630 Chat. This is Oscar Clefbaum from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to the Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Shad. Oscar Clefbaum still out of action. He has started skating. Don't know when we're going to see him in a game. Ryan Nugent Hopkins skating as well. He's getting over that broken hand. Thanks for tuning in tonight. Inside Sports on 630 Shad. Still ahead, we will uh, talk a little senior hockey. With Mike Tavaroli, the head coach of the Stony Plain Eagles, now coaching Ryan Smith. In about 90 seconds, we're going to bring in Chris Johnston from Sportsnet. Chris, I know you're on hold and can hear this. I just want to give Bill his time here because he called the open line, 780-496-0063. Bill, I've got to get to Chris here, but I'll give you about a minute or so, man. What's on your mind? Hey, i got four quick uh, points to make. Go ahead. Number one, uh, I think... Part of the problem with the Oilers is uh, as long as the stadium is full every night, uh, the Cage group probably doesn't really care if they win or lose. Uh, it might be a comment off the wall, but that's my point of view. And the 
second one is we keep drafting number one goal scorers. We, you know, good. We we've had the the uh, number one draft over the years, but in my mind, we need some grinders, some guys that are going the corners that are digging the puck out. Number three, our defense sucks. Really, it really sucks. Justin Schultz, uh, I thought was going to be another Paul Coffey, but that hasn't worked out. Why he's still on the team, I still have no idea. And uh, the third point is. Taylor Hall, in my mind, for Sagan, Taylor Hall is the best choice we've made in the number of years uh, we've had the draft over the, you know, in the last four or five, six years. This guy just plays his heart out night after night after night. He's the guy that you can see going down the boards, just giving it everything he's got. He hasn't scored a lot of goals in the last uh, number of games, but so what? If everybody watched Taylor Hall play, I think the Oilers would be winning more games. Bill, uh, those are my comments. Man. Very concise. Thanks for doing that. Hey, I appreciate it. Thanks for the time to hear me. Right on. That is Bill calling in, 780-496-0063. And we will segue right into Chris Johnston back on Inside Sports. Chris, you're on with Reed, man. How are you doing? I'm well. Bill was bringing the heat there. That's a good call. He had his points. He thought them out. And uh, he, he put them out there, and, and uh, we're all good. Hey, the Oilers worried, defense. coming for your job, Reed. Well, he, I, I, he, he might. He might. I, <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, he, uh, he, he was pretty to the point there. The defense isn't good. I mean, the defense isn't good. And uh, I was going to start with Leaf stuff, but this is a perfect segue. I, I don't think Justin Schultz is going to be an Oiler in a week. What, what, what are you hearing? What's your sense? I would be surprised if he was as well. And, and you know, I do think something was pretty close there uh, about a week or so ago now. And then, you know, it, it's clear that, that you know, while he's, he's very much struggled in Edmonton, that I do think there's still some interest out there in him. And then, you know, maybe teams that view him in a different way with, with an expiring contract and uh, really only having to assume what's left of his cap hit for 40 or 40-plus 40 days uh, and being willing to do that for, for, you know, the positives he brings. Uh, with moving the puck, so uh, I, I don't think you'll see him there on March first. But you know, we'll have to see how it plays out here in the coming week. I mean, do you? I, I know Elliot's written some some Tampa Bay stuff. Did do you? I mean, I don't know. Is is it Tampa Bay? Is it an Eastern team? Do you get any sense of the landing point for Schultz? Yeah, Tampa is, is at least curious there. I mean, uh, they're, they're dealing with an injury to Jason Garrison, and, and you know, I think some some kind of general issues with. Uh, moving the puck uh, from from their blue line, uh, but but I do think you'll see him probably head east, uh, you know, if he goes anywhere. But uh, you know, I haven't heard anything recently in the last day or two about anything more specific than that. But, but Tampa was definitely in some talks with the Oilers uh, at one point. Yeah. Okay. Well, I wonder. I wonder if that could still uh, could still shake out. I, I mean, I also uh, I think it's uh, a relatively safe bet that uh, Teddy Purcell, who's a UFA, will will probably be moved out. I, I wonder, given some of the the trades the Leafs have, have made here, and I want to get more into those with you, Chris, because that's a really interesting situation there. Um, third, third rounder for Teddy Purcell, does that sound realistic? I think that's doable. I mean, I'm still kind of curious to see what the market's like. And, you know, the Leafs have been able to make a couple deals, and then we had the, the Calgary-Vancouver trade uh, late this afternoon, but um, you know, I, I've kind of been wondering that there's suddenly a little bit more selling kind of uh, that, that's appeared here, and, and I'm not sure what effect that's going to have in the coming days. But, you know, for Teddy Purcell, who's, who's you know, showing some decent offensive flair throughout his career and, and 
you know, being a type of player that, that tends to be traded at the deadline and, and tends to, you know, get teams willing to, you know, take that risk with him, I guess. Not risk, but, but assume him for six to seven weeks. You know, I think a third-round pick is a fair price to get for him. Yeah, well, you know, and that kind of c- comes up. I mean, the the Leafs get a, uh, what well, they get a fourth-rounder for Sean Mathias. So, I mean, I think that, yeah, probably you could get a third-rounder for Purcell at this point. Chris, I, I always enjoy your perspective, and I, and I know you talk to a lot of different people in the hockey world, and then you go to games in a bunch of different rinks and stuff. I mean, I have always asserted, well, really since last August, that, that the point where some people are probably tired of hearing me say it, that if that if it comes to a major piece being dealt by the Oilers, and, and we know who those are, there are three players who have been here a while who all make all make six million dollars each. That that probably is a summertime deal, summer of 2016 deal. Um, is that am I off? Am I off my rocker? I, I know it's a tough stretch for the Oilers. Fans want change. They know there has to be change. Do, is is it? at all realistic there could be a blockbuster involving the Oilers in the next week or are you on the same page as me that it probably has to happen in the summer well the reality is that's the kind of deal you usually look at around the draft I mean because uh, in on one hand they're, they're potentially you're likely going to be getting some draft picks back and I think at that time teams you know you're gonna have a batch of teams that maybe just lost out in the first round and are disappointed and you know kind of a different outlook you know on the season but I don't think we can rule it out yet uh, for the trade deadline here in Edmonton. And, you know, obviously with, with having a GM in his first year on the job, he, he's kind of uh, had some time there as Peter Shirelli to, to take uh, stock of things, you know, and, and I'm sure it's been very difficult, especially the last month or so, where, you know, even the return of Connor McDavid hasn't, uh, despite all the, the great things he's done on the ice, hasn't really helped the team in the grander scheme and, you know, probably maybe a little bit more reality about where things are at. So, I, I wouldn't rule it out entirely uh, before the deadline, but you're, you're certainly right that if we're playing the odds here, that, that you just don't see players with term on their their deals dealt during the season very often. And you know the Leafs were able to make one a couple weeks back now with the Dion Phaneuf trade. But uh, if you go back and, and look through the history of deals in the last three or four years, it's, it's very unusual to see uh, players you know in that position who are you know still very good players as, as the young guys you're talking about. Are but but you know with with teams having to contemplate adding contracts that you know affect their cap picture for a number of years out and and having to give up some assets to get them I, I think it's a much tougher trade to make it this time of year when you know the safe move is is acquiring one of the many rentals that are out there uh, being peddled this week. Yeah, good point. Chris Johnson joining us. He's from Sportsnet. Reed Wilkins with you inside sports on six thirty. Chat at seven forty two. We have the Oilers game tomorrow, five thirty face off show, seven o'clock puck drop as they take on the uh, Ottawa Senators. Um, just, so yeah, just you mentioned if if people missed it, the the Flames Canucks trade. By the way, oddly enough, second year in a row these two teams make a trade. The Flames get Hunter Shinkarik and the Canucks get Marcus Granlin. I mentioned the uh, Leafs trade from yesterday. The one today. Roman Polak and Nick Spalling to the Sharks for Rafi Torres and second rounders in 17 and 18. You know, Chris, I, before the Leafs Oilers game at the start of this homestand, I, I interviewed Joe Bowen, who does the play by play for the Leafs, and I said, you know, tough situation for both teams, but we know the Oilers are building around Connor McDavid. Who are the Leafs building around? And he said, well, he's not here yet. He wasn't talking about Steven Stamkos. Some people <laughs> got upset that he said that. Um, there, I, I mean, is is that 
is that the reality here? They're hoping to get, well, I mean, I guess that is the reality. I mean, it's Matthews or one of the other guys, and then it's and then it's it's go from there because I mean people are saying that this is basically a Marley's team that's playing in the NHL. Well, it's certainly going to look that way in a week's time, especially with Leafs having to pull up more guys from their AHL team after you know the expected deals to come. And you know I think that is the case for, for Toronto. The one difference I'll say uh, that they're trying, and, and I mean only five years from now will we have definitive proof one way or another whether it was worthwhile is they're they're going about a rebuild uh the way that we see i think you know football teams especially uh, but some other teams in other sports where they they're looking for purely volume of of draft picks and and you know making a lot more selections than than other teams with the idea that you know that even for all the scouting you can do and all the hoping you can do that that uh it's still a crapshoot to draft and and uh so you know the the, the kind of unique thing i guess that i think they've done is acquired several players last summer at the beginning of the year that, that are essentially the type of players you deal at the deadline. Matthias uh, was one of them. Uh, Nick Spalling, who they got in the Phil Kessel trade, was another. Uh, and, you know, with the idea of turning them into those kind of assets right now. And, and you know, the reality is I, I don't think we've, we've seen any team callously do it the way the Leafs have, where everyone knew and everyone was right and even – you know, back in July when, when those contracts were signed, at least in the Matthias case or P.A. Parento, that, that these guys weren't going to survive the deadline. And, you know, they're going to end up with a lot of picks here. So, uh, it's, it's, you know, the, the listeners in Edmonton will know that's certainly no guarantee whatsoever of success. And then, frankly, you know, the odds are still stacked against them, even if they finish 30th, uh, even though they're right down there with the Oilers, that they're not going to win the, the, the top of the draft lottery, you know, as it is. So, I mean, it's, it's a long road, and, and I think – uh, management, Brendan Shanahan and Mike Babcock in particular have signed up for that. And, you know, the Leafs are going to be, I would think, near the bottom of the standings for the next few years. It's not just, uh, you know, a one-year proposition and they got their guy to build around and it's going to be that simple. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's t- you're, I mean, you're right. For every uh, Chicago, to, to use a team that had gone 10 playoff, uh, had 10 years with one playoff series, and I believe they specifically won one game, in that series, and they've now risen to the top. For every Chicago, there is an Edmonton. There is a Buffalo who looks like they're going to be in the bottom five again after finishing last two years in, in a row. So it's it's and and Chris, you know, one thing I've been saying is I don't know if the salary cap has had the effect that we all wanted to believe it would ten, eleven years ago, and that was that oh, so, you know, star players are going to be changing the teams all changing teams all the time. I mean, now teams just sign their three or four best players for long term and they switch out all the other parts. So if you're if you're a team that has a star, um, you keep them. I mean nobody is signing a star for a two year deal at the age of twenty four and then he's a free agent at twenty six and he, he jumps around. So it's it's becoming where I don't know if there is the parity that that they thought the salary cap might provide. Well, you know, where you see the parity, I think, is more just if we take arbitrarily teams number six overall in the standing to about 21 right now or 22, where, you know, there's a lot of teams in that range that clearly aren't very good and aren't very bad and that are, you know, right now, even a week out from the deadline, a little bit less, kind of wondering how best to do their business. And then, you know, I think that, that it's kind of pulled more teams to the to the mushy middle. But you know, if you know, the reality is, if if you're most of those teams and the GMs running those teams, 
it's it's very unlikely any of them are going to win the Stanley Cup this year. And I realize, you know, within organizations, there's different priorities, and you know, in some they want to get a couple home dates and then the playoffs to to make money and and to get into the black. But uh, you know, those those teams are kind of being a bit disingenuous with themselves if, if they believe that that one move or two moves is going to make that huge a difference. And, and you're right, I think that uh, the, the Caps had a lot of sort of strange effects, and it, it's kind of an ever-evolving thing. I mean, last summer, the free agency with the, the lack of money spent and the number of you know players that, that you would normally see get some security, have to sign one-year deals, you know, I think that's going to be a new trend. I don't think that was a one-off, and uh, and it's basically for the reasons you said. You, you try to get a core, and you know basically everyone outside of that is, is an interchangeable piece, and you try to spend as little money as possible on those players that aren't kind of your impact guys, and that, that seems to be the way certainly the Chicago model has been, and that's, you know, they're very poised to be kind of the team of this generation at this point. Uh, you know, they've had so many different guys populate their, their even their first line wing position, uh, but, but certainly their third and fourth lines, and then the bottom defense pairing is, has been kind of a revolving door, yet they've been able to win because they have such a strong group of, of core players that, that drive the engine there. Yep. Man, you know, when you mentioned 21st overall, all the Oilers fans listening just thought to themselves, wouldn't that be great to finish 21st? <laughs> That's how it is, buddy. <laughs> well, it, it goes both ways, though. It's funny because, like, when we talk about the Leafs, I mean, one of the things I'm sort of wondering is they're in the position you mentioned about the Hawks from a while ago. I mean, they've had their one playoff series now in 11 years, and they've never really tried to to do what they're doing now. And, and you know, that that's kind of, I'm sure, must be frustrating for people that, care about this team is that they've never even put themselves in the position to at least you know be be really actively getting the best new talent coming into the league so uh it, it's sort of admirable i guess in some ways they're starting on the path now but it, it does mean that we're going to go a really long time uh you know in the biggest talking in the league where the team is totally irrelevant and that's just you know basically the way i guess it has to be in the salary cap yeah Chris, thanks for being so generous with your time tonight. I always appreciate you having on the show and uh, always enjoy seeing your work on the Sportsnet website and on the tube as well. Appreciate that, Reed, and I hope you have an entertaining next week in Edmonton. I'm sure there will be some deals for you there. Oh, I think, I think it will be very entertaining. We'll talk to you soon. All right, man. That is Chris Johnston checking in with Sportsnet Inside Sports on 630. Chad Reed Wilkins with you. Uh, got uh, checking on the curling here, PEI leading Alberta 2-1. That is in the fifth end, Alberta undefeated at the Bond Spiel up in Grand Prairie. We'll get to your NHL scores when we get back. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chad. Oh, I haven't heard this one in a while. We want to check your scoreboard courtesy of Crystal Glass. Crystal Glass for all your glass needs. Call 310-GLASS today. 6-4, Columbus beating Boston. Capitals over the Coyotes, 3-2. Capitals only 10 regulation time losses all year. Predators and Canadians still 1-1 in the third. Uh, San Jose up 4-2 on St. Louis. That is after two. And uh, the Raptors winning big tonight, 122-95 over the New York Knickerbockers. 
Reed Wilkins with you. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, Ward 12 by-election results. When we get them on 6.30, Chet, 32 candidates. They could have done an NCAA-style bracket and played down. That's how, that's how many people are, are running. Jordan Osterley expected to play for the Oilers tomorrow against the Ottawa Senators. 780-496-0063. We have Don on the line tonight. Hello, Don. Hey, how's it going? I am doing well. What's on your mind, buddy? Well, I just wanted to just uh, make a comment, actually, on uh, Benoit Pouliot's comments in the last couple weeks. Uh, one, uh, after that Islander game where he said the uh, the team kind of gave up after that third goal, he was one of his comments. Okay, I don't remember it that specifically, but okay. Yeah, that's what he said. But anyways, uh, just specifically, an athlete saying that we kind of gave up, for one thing, is just, I mean, that's just deplorable. And then the other day he says... Uh, we just kind of lack the determination, he said. I just want to know if he's, like, directing that at the team or, or is that himself. Cause he's supposed to be one of the veteran guys in there, one of the guys we count as a leader. You know, yeah. I've, watched, I've watched every game this year. I've gone to quite a few games. And uh, we counted three games. We counted myself and my buddies. It was the fourth game before Pouliot actually threw a hit. The fourth game before he threw a, a hit. I was listening to Torchetti today. He was talking about Minnesota and how they turned it around. And one of the things he was saying was that we're not going to put up with any more stick checking and the guys are going to have to start finishing their checks. And and to me, this is the epitome of the problem with the Oilers, and it has been for a long time. I've called you guys so many times over about the softness of this club. I know everyone knows that already. But the lack of hitting on this club... And the finishing of checks is just unbelievable. You know, the one thing I, I really want to know what's going to happen, and I think we're all waiting to see, is because Connor McDavid already has been taking some pretty good shots and some little hitting to the back and stuff, and no one's sticking up for him. But regardless, I want to see when he, if, if it happens when he's laying on the ice to see the true Benoit Pouliot, if he's going to actually stand in there and do something about it. Because he really is the epitome of what's wrong with this team, with our veterans. You know, I talked to Ron Lowe a few years, quite a few years ago, actually, and I asked him, this is going back a ways, and I said to him, I said, how could you make Kelly Buckberger the captain of the Oilers? How could you do that? Kelly Buckberger, really? Yeah. And you know what he said to me? He said to me, he was mad. He said, because he's the heart and soul of our team. That's why. And, you know, I was mad for a long time, but, you know, it, it, it took a while, but I get it. I get it now. Heart and soul guys, Jason Smith, Gator. But these kind of guys we don't have on our team. Until we get the guys that are willing to stand up for everyone in that dressing room, stand up for the guy next to you, this team is never going to turn it around. Well, you know what, Don? Somebody who played on the 06 team said to me once um, that the reason that team made it to the final, and let's face it, not a lot of people thought they would, right? Uh-huh. That he, he said everybody on the ice, when you were out on the ice, you were you worked so hard because you didn't want to be the guy that made the mistake that let the rest of the team down. Yeah. And that's not necessarily hitting. That's getting a puck out. That's blocking a shot. That's not. That's taking an extra stride so you don't get a penalty. And that you know that goes back to those detailed things that the Oilers do. And I will say this about Benoit Pouliot. He's often not a detailed enough player. Yeah. No, I agree with you there. But I mean, I mean the accountability on this team, like our defensemen and that. 
like we had a guy who was a good defenseman that was Petrie, and then and then we got rid of him. I mean, the guy's a great defenseman. Well, he's and not I'm, having a great year this year, but I but I know what you're saying that the Oilers put all that time into him, and then and then he was gone. Don, I appreciate your spirited call, buddy, but I got a break for the news. Okay, you betcha. Thanks. Right, right on seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. I got an email from the NHL about the Taylor Hall goalie interference play. I will read that when we get back.